Hey everyone, welcome to Hit the Apex Podcast, it's Jawad here as always, and thank you for joining me this Tuesday after the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, my schedule allowed for an earlier recording this week, Um, pretty busy (laughs) heading into this back part of the year uh, with the new job and everything, and also um, getting ready to go away this weekend to Adelaide, and of course the Adelaide 500 coming up in a fortnight's time or less than a fortnight's time so I'll I'll do a little preview for that at the end of this show but the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix rounds out the 2022 Formula One season and kind of like the season as a whole um, there was potential there was uh, little moments of excitement of course with the strategy and some on-track battles but overall a dull affair you know and that's really sad when you know I have to say it like that uh, I'm not trying to be you know vicious or anything or you know get abusive with with my criticism and whatnot but it's a bit sad really to come into this new era of uh, Formula One where you know we were promised a lot more closer racing, you know, the potential was there for a championship battle as well between Ferrari and Red Bull, but in the end what we got was Max Verstappen with another masterclass, his 15th win of the season, of course, um, behind him Charles Leclerc bet Sergio Perez, so second in the championship goes the way of the Monegascan to Ferrari as well and the constructors, but what's more galling, I think, is when you look at the statistics and Max's 15 wins equals the record back from 1988, you know, that at that time was the, you know, the best record for a particular team set by McLaren Honda. 15 wins out of the 16 races they had and that was split between Alain Prost and Ayrton Senna. So for Max to, you know, do it in... In a single season, yes, we've got more races these days. Next year, we've got 24, potentially, if, you know, uh, the Chinese GP doesn't drop off, which it sounds like it will, and doesn't sound like it will get replaced like they were talking about with Portugal. Um, so it kind of dilutes that in a, in a way. You know, when you look at it percentage-wise as well, it was brought to my attention that, you know, Sebastian Vettel's record in 2013 was still, you know, like 0.5% of a percent better than Max's strike rate this year, but regardless, you know, you can't take away from the fact it's been a super, super dominant year for him and Red Bull, you know, they've ticked the box of, you know, winning that Constructors' Championship that they didn't last year, their first since 2013, and then also, they've hit the ground running with these new regulations. I mean, I know the whole cost cap uh, thing is going to take away or detract a little bit from from what they've achieved this year and what ramifications will that have or their penalties, you know, with the um, reduction in wind tunnel time have on next year and the year after. So whether this will be another Red Bull... Um, era, another Red Bull dynasty, if you want to say. It's too early to say, but, you know, for two championships back-to-back for Verstappen, both coming not in the most 
savory of circumstances, but it hasn't faulted him and his off-track perform. Sorry, him and his on-track performances this year. And Abu Dhabi, the win, the crushing win, you got to say, was what 8.7 seconds ahead of Leclerc. Um, was another example of just how peerless he's been in terms of, um, you know, any other driver on the grid. So qualifying, we had a Noah's Ark formation, basically, across the top six. You had your Red Bulls, you had your Ferraris, and then the Mercedes on the third row of the grid, the pair of the Mercedes, as you say. A bit disappointing, given that there was promise in the practice sessions for Mercedes to potentially mix it. But again... Being at a different altitude, different conditions, so last two races in Mexico and Brazil, different conditions and at a different altitude as well, the high altitudes don't require as much, you know, downforce or whatever, I'm pretty sure it's that way around, I don't know, I've got a scrambled brain at the moment, Um, you know, it benefited them, whereas... Here in Abu Dhabi, you know, they can't find any straight line speed because they're having to put a lot of downforce on to counter the um, porpoising effect. And that's something we haven't even talked about for quite some time now, the porpoising. So, you know, that basically came back to bite them, did did Mercedes. And I'm sure both Lewis Hamilton and George Russell will be glad to see the backside of the W13 as well because it was really a mule when it comes to... Um, the other cars that Mercedes have made since they came into F1 or took over from Braun GP in 2010. So even those 2010-2011 spec cars probably looked a bit better than than this one did. But statistically, they've done all right. You know, they've they've had many podiums. I mean, Hamilton himself, I think he's finished with eight or nine podiums this year. Um, and then Russell, of course, picking up that maiden win in Brazil. This is starting to sound like a season review. Um, don't worry, there will be one hopefully coming in, in later weeks. But, um, you know, here in um, Abu Dhabi, it was just a reminder of how far behind they've fallen behind, you know, even Ferrari with the way that uh, their results panned out. Russell coming home in fifth in the race whilst Hamilton had a... DNF and a mechanical DNF for Mercedes, you know, they've not had one of those this year at all, so it's kind of apt for Hamilton in his first ever winless season in F1, you know, that's that in itself is pretty, um, not hilarious, but just astonishing, the fact that he's come this far, you know, from 2007 and hasn't gone a season without winning, and even his first year at Mercedes in 2013, he got that sensational win in Hungary, which um, I'm sure many a fan will remember if you've been around with us since then. Um, Come the race, you had a bit of a battle, I guess, not really a battle going into turn one, but pretty much uh, Max beat Checo or was able to fend him off into turn one. There was a even start, you could say, and for a minute they probably thought that, or oh, Checo could have done it, but no, that wasn't the case. Max led into turn one and then pretty much wasn't seen again. He pitted on lap 20 and had a one-stop strategy from medium to hards. Uh, Checo Perez, meanwhile... He was brought in quite early and Red Bull were trying to do a two-stop strategy. And basically, they were kind of goated into this or baited into this by Ferrari. So, you know, Red Bull to take the bait from Ferrari is pretty 
significant given that Ferrari's actually done something right in terms of strategy for once this season. So unfortunately for Perez, the earlier pit stops in the stints hurt. Uh, Leclerc was able to extend his second stint and go on to the same sort of one-stop strategy that Max was running. And at the end of the day, the two points that Perez lost in Brazil um, by not being allowed to pass his teammate at the end there for sixth would have still only put him behind by one point in the Drivers' Championship if this result in Abu Dhabi played like played out like it did. So with Leclerc finishing second ahead of him, so you know, I guess it's a bit of a bummer for them that they weren't able to get the one-two in the championship. But Leclerc, you know bringing home some kind of, um, you know, some kind of recompense or, you know, something to salvage for Ferrari, you know, they can go at the end of the year to the board on, you know, Mattia Bonotto and whatnot, which we'll talk about later as well, um, can say, hey, you know, last year we finished third in the championship, this year we finished second, so in the Constructors' Championship, that is, so it's still it's still a bit of a step up for them, but, you know, Ferrari, they've got such high expectations, and everyone's got such high expectations of them, that, you know, if they're not winning, then, you know, no one really cares, so, you know, and that's the, the sad reality of it, and, you know, why not just talk about Binotto for a second, so, of course, last week there were rumours, about him potentially being replaced by uh, Alfa Romeo team principal Frederick Vasseur. I mean, I love Fred. Don't get me wrong; he's he's been great, you know, ever since he came into F1, having been successful as the ART team boss in um, then GP2 and then F2, uh, and he's doing a great job with Alfa, um, Alfa Sauber, but. I don't care who they replace Binotto with, you know, you could have anyone in that position, you know, it's not going to make a difference. And this is the thing that we've said about Ferrari, or I've said about Ferrari, not because I'm a Ferrari fan, it's, you know, anyone looking at the situation with um, any kind of, you know, rational view will say, there's a fundamental problem within the organisation and within the team. Now, Bonotto, sadly, this year, we've seen him not try to do what previous Ferrari team principals have in the past and point the finger at team members or put the blame on anyone. You know, he's trying to be the people pleaser. You know, but... In doing that, you lose accountability or, you know, the people working for you, they lose their accountability. You know, there has to be, I'm not saying you have to put some fear into them, there has to be accountability. And when you make mistakes on the pit wall or in the pit lane, you know, when your drivers make mistakes as well, they've got to be held accountable for it. And I think, you know, with this sort of lackadaisical culture there at Ferrari, um... They've fallen by the wayside. There's no discipline. You know, you look at how great Mercedes are. They're a well-oiled machine. You know, Red Bull as well when it comes to all these other facets of being a successful F1 team or a successful race team. Ferrari have none of that. You know, it's not about just making the fastest car and having um, two great drivers, two of the best drivers on the grid. It's all those other things that have to be put together to create a successful team. And, you know, 
I guess in the aftermath of the success that they had in the early 2000s with the Dream Team and, and Michael Schumacher and all, um, there's no point trying to replicate that. You have to go down your own path and try and find a way to do it yourself, you know, so... I'm sure there'll be people out there who are like, no, Bonotto's got to go, Bonotto's got to go. Like, I didn't even think he was the right person to take over from Arriva Bene, Maurizio Arriva Bene, who was team principal up until 20, end of 2018, you know. Um, but the, such as the politics and the internal dramas at Ferrari that, you know, it, it had to be done. And then here we are a few years later with... Mattia Bonotto, and now we're talking about him potentially facing the sack. So this is something that I don't understand about sports in general, and it sounds very naive coming from someone who's doing a motorsport podcast and talks about, you know, knowing sport here and there, but when you have a problem, you know, and your team is suffering, you know, on ground or on the track or whatever in terms of results... You know, you've got to look beyond just, you know, the coach or the team principal or your players, your drivers, whatever. You know, sometimes problems go into, you know, the front office and, you know, fundamentally within the team as well. And that's where I think Ferrari have issues that they need to address going into the new year because otherwise it's just going to be another repeat of what we've seen this year and you know there's going to be more and more drums beating and then probably the easiest thing to do will be to sack the team principal and then start over but it doesn't fix that core issue because every two or three years we end up back at the same point basically and you know Ferrari are still without a championship since 2007 um, that a driver's title that is so you know when is that little trend going to stop and we're going to actually see them win a championship or at least sustain a championship battle until the final race which is something we've not seen since 2012 there with Fernando Alonso and even that year the team couldn't even give him a car capable of winning races and championships he just had to muscle the mule into contention and you know to only then lose out by three points as it were is just a testament to um Alonso and his skill rather than the team itself for making such a terrible car going back to the race then we did have Perez close in on Leclerc with four laps to go um being on the fresher tires but it was a little too late there was not enough laps in hand to make any kind of pass and you know he didn't have the pace of you know that you know you would have liked to have had to be able to make a pass with four laps to go um so that rounded out the podium Carlos Sainz coming home in fourth and he was a bit racy with Lewis Hamilton earlier in the race and those two going into turn six was kind of a reminder of last year's race at the start on the opening lap where Hamilton had to abort going through the chicane and ended up cutting across it but this time he did end up damaging the floor on the on the curb on the sausage curb that they got there they tried to one stop before they ended up having that mechanical failure and but uh, the Ferrari was still too quick for them on the day. Russell coming home in a lonely fifth, as I might have said earlier, but he did have a bit of a messy race, you got to say. It was a five-second time penalty in there for um, an unsafe release in the pits. He almost took one of the McLarens out, so, you know, fifth was all he could manage. And then behind him, my goodness, Lando Norris 
with sixth. You know, and what a season has Lando had. You know, he had no competition um, for seventh in the Drivers' Championship, and that's behind the three top teams, you know. And given that McLaren have finished behind Alpine in the Constructors' Championship, they've lost that fourth place um, to Alpine this time. Norris's performance has just been something else this season. And, you know, again, it's just that painful, painful thing of, you know, we want to see him in a car capable of challenging the top three teams and being in contention regularly for the podium even though we have seen him on the podium this year and in previous years too when's that first win going to come certainly not um as mclaren is at the moment but can they make a step next year you know back in the right direction it remains to be seen um he was too good for esteban ocon who was in seventh and of course seventh enough for Alpine to score some points to finish ahead of McLaren in the championship. It was pretty much done and dusted after um, Brazil as it was, and it didn't really matter that Fernando Alonso in his final race for Alpine ended up with a um, mechanical failure as well. So, you know, that's kind of summarizes 2022 with Alpine has just been tons and tons of unreliability and if you believe the words of the Spaniard himself he keeps saying you know I've lost x amount of points this year due to that you know I mean he might as well have won the world championship <laughs> is what you know the impression you get from Alonso sometimes he when he talks but um yeah you know his race came to an end quite early on um as well so that's him done and dusted with his third stint at the Enstone team coming to a bit of an unceremonious end the new team that he will be going to Aston Martin they had both their cars in the top 10 Lance Stroll in eighth with two-stop strategy and there was a point during the race where he had knocked out his teammate Sebastian Vettel out of the points and it was like what are you doing Aston get get Seb back into the points um and Seb did a one-stopper to come home in 10th I think if he had gotten that one place ahead you know that extra point for for ninth and he was battling with his old teammate Daniel Ricciardo for that, and Ricciardo on a two-stop strategy too. It would have been the extra point that Aston Martin needed to finish sixth in the championship ahead of Alfa Romeo, so they tied on points at the end of the season, but on count back to you know the better results coming in Alfa Romeo's favour, they finished in sixth, so that's a big leap up for Alfa, even though their recent races haven't had anything for them to celebrate, again, both their drivers out of the points, but yet Guan Yu Zhou down in 12th, and Valtteri Bottas in 15th, Um, but, you know, important there, because this was the final race for Daniel Ricciardo, potentially, you know, in F1, it will be for now, certainly, but also Vettel, his final race before he heads into retirement and you know all the messages that we've seen during the week that you know I've read and 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 viewed and everything you know Dunker Seb is you know that's like you know basically the you know that's the most basic version of what you can say to Seb you know there's there's been so much love and support which is great and again like I said last week you know it's it's been such a love-hate love relationship with him because you know at the start of his career you know 2010 when he won his first championship you know it was all it was all about Seb you know it was all about him in his corner 2011 too but then 2020 
2012, 2013, it was kind of like, oh, we're getting sick of the the Seb domination here, you know, he's not really, and multi-21, he's not really the greatest of characters, is he? But then, you know, you, you grow, I grew to appreciate and enjoy watching him race again when he moved to Ferrari, and there was that, you know, that kind of rose-tinted view that he could emulate what, um the great Michael Schumacher did but unfortunately didn't come to pass but it's such a beautiful human being is Seb and his his message after the race you know when they interviewed him on the on the grid in Park Ferme was so important I think you know about life is just you know be, you know life is more than just the racetrack I think he was kind of a summary of what he said and to me you know even though I'm not a racing driver or I'm not involved, you know, directly in in having a day-to-day role with, with racing or with F1 or anything, it was an important message in the sense of it's, you know, life is more than, you know, your, your day job kind of thing or what you do in that respect as, a, as an occupation kind of thing. And excuse me for getting a bit emotional and philosophical about this, but given the year that you know, I've had, my partner has had this year, you know, with, with losing a dad, and he was one of those people who, you know, work was everything, you know, work, 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 I'm, I'm very busy, so busy, I can't, you know, catch up, or don't have time to see my family, don't have time to see, you know, there's more to life than just that, and I don't want to be one of those people who, you know, something like that happened, and, you know, I've not had the time to spend with loved ones and do things that really make you happy. And Seb as well with what he's trying to do for, not for him necessarily or, you know, people of his generation, but for his children and, and you know, generations to come with the whole environmental push and sustainability um uh, equality as well. You know, it's about improving that quality of life for generations to come rather than you know just having this insular view on you know what 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 my today looks like or what my next week looks like it's about the long term and you know I hope we get to see the fruits of his labor and the fruits of his efforts um, play out and everything but at the end of the day it's hard not to dislike a character like that to dislike a, a human like that you know and seeing seeing some vitriol as well about you know oh you know him and Lewis are you know woke and all this it's disgusting like you know who are you entitled brats um being able to just sit there and comment like that just because you've probably got you know everything in the world and you haven't had to struggle and stuff like that through things like racism and inequality and all that it doesn't mean, you know, you can come out and start calling people names like this or saying, oh, you know, I don't like him because he's woke or he doesn't deserve to be in F1 because of this and that or because they're woke or they've got this opinion. That's just horrible, you know, and someone like Vettel and, and Hamilton, they're trying to do things for everybody, you know, they're trying to... I know it just sounds like waffle now, but, you know, they're trying to create a better world for everyone to live in, not just, you know, a particular group of people who 
are entitled to, you know, everything as they want to. If I was able to swear, I'd really dig into it, but no, I'm going to leave it at that. So congratulations, Seb, on your career. Congratulations on scoring that point. It sounds so horrible. (laughs) Congratulations for scoring a world championship point, given this is a driver who's got 53 race wins and four world championships, but um, he's, he's done a fine job there. Um, outside of the points, Mick Schumacher, uh, in his last race for Haas, he was 16th, unfortunately, still finished ahead of his teammate, Kevin Magnussen, um, and Mick did get a five-second time penalty for hitting Nicholas Latifi, who was also in his last race in F1 too, so the GOAT, um, GOATifi, of course, no, uh, not going to be driving for Williams, um, and that's because also, mm-hmm, Logan Sargent in F2 wraps up the year in the F2 championship and had enough super license points to to get himself into F1. So that's confirmed now that he will be Williams driver next year alongside Alex Albon. And then, of course, we had Mick Schumacher potentially um, going to Mercedes as a reserve driver. And then, of course, Daniel Ricciardo as well being offered a role at Red Bull in, in a reserve or test driver, ambassadorial kind of thing. So we'll just have to wait and see how that pans out, um, whether he accepts that role or not. But um, yeah, that's that's the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. That's 2022 all done for F1. I'll have some more thoughts, I guess. Um, I'm going to let them, you know, marinate for the next couple of weeks before I do a season review, go do this uh, trip to Adelaide, Adelaide 500 and then come back and get stuck into it it's good you know we've ended the season with a month to go till Christmas and and the new year as well whereas last year we were kind of midway through December um when the season wrapped and then of course we had all the fallout as well of of the championship battle um and the controversy and the controversy that we did see at Abu Dhabi so you know at least this time we do get a bit of time to talk about the season as a whole and um you know reflect on the year that has been 2022 in f1 so i will leave it at that um moving it over to then supercars and the adelaide 500 not much really to preview as such just yet you know it'll probably look you know better once we get closer to the event but because i won't be recording again until after but it's a return to the streets of Adelaide for the first time since 2019, and there was a period in that time since that, um, sorry, since 2020, they did have a 2020 race there um, before COVID, and there was a time, there was a time since uh, it looked like it wasn't going to ever come back, because they did officially can it, and then of course the Labour um, leader for South Australia went on a big campaign during here during the election to bring back the Adelaide 500 that was his you know key promise and I'm sure many <laughs> citizens of South Australia would have voted Labor just to get the Adelaide 500 back you know they do they are quite passionate and they do love their motorsport um, and yeah here it is and given the fact that I was already going to be in Adelaide that week you know for a Guns N' Roses concert that got postponed a couple of years ago in in 2020 uh, due to COVID 
it was a no-brainer to actually say, hey, you know, let's um, get tickets to the Adelaide 500 too this weekend because uh, it's going to be a good little weekend, you know, see some supercars racing and the Adelaide race has always been something I wanted to see. Obviously, I'm too young to have been able to have gone to the uh, F1 race that they had in up there until 1995 but um, you know for the 500 as it is you know it's been a mainstay on supercars so it was it was a travesty that they actually got rid of it in the first place uh, yeah so it's two 250k races with fuel um, fuel stops the two top 10 shootouts as well uh, to proceed or to precede the races championships all over so we don't have to worry about that but there are minor placings to look at I think there's like second and some driver uh, sorry some teams championship results as well hinging on what happens in Adelaide it's also the farewell to Holden as well so there was news today that Triple Eight uh, and Walkinshaw and Dreading United are going to run some tribute liveries to Holden, so can't wait to see uh, what they look like um, next week as well. I'm going to have plenty of photos, so be sure to uh, come and follow my Instagram um, Instagram channel or account, whatever you want to call it, which is at Doctor Forty Sixth. You'll see the um, you'll see it in my link tree anyway. So yeah, you know, looking forward to that. There's Super Two as well, and of course the finale with drive five drivers in contention, I believe. S five thousand Giancarlo Fisichella, ex F one driver, will be there in S five thousand, so that'll be worth a watch too. And the Australian GT Championship or the um, GT World Challenge Australia going to be part of it as too so you know lots to look forward to there I can't wait was looking at the track map today and was like oh you know this is where my grandstand is this is where I want to go um suss out you know some cool activations and displays there's also the concerts as well so I'm looking forward to they've got the killers playing on the Sunday night so you know for the for the price of my ticket (laughs) or included with my ticket for the weekend is is the um ticket to go see the killers and there's some other bands as well you uh like lime cordial if you've heard of them amy shark is pretty popular as well jimmy barnes is going to be there not that he's my cup of tea at all so it's going to be a great great little weekend it's going to be a great week i'm looking forward to it so much um other than that you know you won't hear from me until after that until after i get back from adelaide that's when i'll do um, sure some kind of supercars wrap up and also the f1 season review other than that hope you guys stay well um, be sure to check out the podcast twitter page at the apex media not that there is much going on there and of course um, use the link tree to follow through to my uh, profile on the raw for my articles and stuff. So I'm sure I'll have some. I'm sure I'll have some content coming to wrap up the season as well 
in writing form and then of course the season reviews for the podcast as well to come later and of course the instagram so yeah don't forget about that other than that thanks for tuning in this week hope you guys have a good one stay safe take care and i'll see you next time bye for now